You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. We've done enough of these episodes for you to anticipate the sounds around me, the wind on the hill, the birds chirping. If I could make a sound for the sun shining in the sky, I would. I don't know what that sounds like, though. But today's episode, well, this doesn't really match, because if we're on the hill where Neonor has ascended in order to escape the pestilence, the toxic fog that has covered the land. And remember, the only place that she can go nearby to escape this is up the hill, the Hill of Spies, outside of Nargothrond. And the world wouldn't sound like this around me right now. In fact, it probably sounds more like this. An uncomfortable silence. Not even the birds would be chirping. Because just on the other side of the hill... Neonor comes directly face to face with Glaurung, the father of all dragons. Can you picture this? Before we get into the details of this story, and this story today is tragic. This entire story about Turin is tragic. But this part of the story in particular is going to be dark and potentially disturbing. There are things in this story that do not show up in Tolkien's other works, certain types of topics and you're going to see where this goes. So be ready. Be ready. Now, Tolkien was a professional and a gentleman, and he handles the topics like a like a historian, almost. Or like the way that they're covered in the modern recreation of ancient myths, where they're a little bit sanitized. We don't go into too much detail. But just be aware, the story gets dark. 
And before we delve into it, I want you to put yourself in Neonor's shoes for at least a little bit longer while she's still wearing them. And coming up on that hill, panicked, she doesn't know where everyone else is. And she comes face to face with a gigantic dragon. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in that situation? You are one of a few individuals who has ever, ever been this close to a dragon before. They're probably just stories and myths at this point. She's heard people talk about Glaurung and how Glaurung showed up during specific times in the past. You know, during great wars and those kinds of things. But I can't imagine that she thought she would alone be face to face with this terrifying creature. And yet here she is. So buckle in. This is going to be quite an adventure today. The beginning of this part of the story is interesting, and I'm, I'm always going to say that. I'm always going to find something interesting. Hey, this part's interesting. But this specific section is interesting for a reason. And here, I'll read the passage, and then I'll explain to you a little bit about it. The passage we ended with last week goes like this. But Nanor, being thrown by her steed, yet unhurt, made her way back to Ammon Ethir, this hill of spies, there to await Mablung, and came thus above the reek into the sunlight. And looking westward, she stared straight into the eyes of Galarung, whose head lay upon the hilltop. And this is where we pick up. Her will strove with him for a while, but he put forth his power, and having learned who she was, he constrained her to gaze into his eyes. And we're going to pause there. The very beginning of this is interesting because they they lock eyes right at the beginning. They see each other. And it says that he put forth his power and her will strove with him. This was not a physical thing. This is not her physical will like she was pushing away and he was pulling at her. And no, this this is mental will. There is a thing in Tolkien's work where Powerful minds can reach into the minds of other people. And most of the time, those individuals don't like this. This is not something they want. They close their minds to it. And by default, there's this, this thing where if your mind is closed, other people can't get in unless you open it to them or the opening is forced open. We see characters do this. We see good characters do this and bad characters do this. Galadriel seems to have this ability to send forth her will to others' minds and be able to see inside them. Now, is that a feature of the ring that she wears? Or is that something inherent to her, being that she's a very old elf who came from Valinor? That's another thing to debate for other times. But in this case... You have a dragon 
the father of all dragons, who has this ability as well. And it's another one of those things we talked about last week about how Glarung, to me, feels like a Maiar in a physical body, even though it's not stated anywhere. That's what it feels like to me. And a Maiar would have this ability. I would imagine that Sauron can do this. Gandalf almost seems to be able to do this as well. He gets this thing where he has a conversation with somebody, especially the hobbits, and yet can kind of peer inside, but not always. Sometimes they keep him out. And it's not explicitly stated the way it is here, usually, but it is a thing that shows up in Tolkien's writings a lot. And so they are they are fighting, in a sense, their wills against each other. And then... Through that conflict, Glarung is able to figure out who she is by peering into her mind and then puts her in that that trap where his gaze locks her just like he did with Turin. And you can imagine from his perspective, he's like, oh, this is Turin's sister. Surprise, surprise. And here's what happens next. He laid a spell of utter darkness and forgetfulness on her, upon her, it says, so that she could remember nothing that had ever befallen her, nor her own name, nor the name of any other thing. And for many days, she could neither hear, nor see, nor stir by her own will. Then Glorung left her standing alone upon Ammon Ethier and went back, back to Nargthrond. This is, this is a thing that he seems to do. He likes to mess with somebody. He gets in their heads. He enchants them in some way. And then he just kind of leaves. He's like, well, let's just see what happens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant the seeds of chaos. And we're going to see what blooms. Now, fortunately for Neonor, Mablung wasn't too far at this point. We are told that he, during this time, actually made his way over into Nargothrond and was exploring the ruins of the city while Glarung wasn't there. And seeing Glarung coming back, he scurries away. He, he, he <laughs> exits the city in order to protect himself and makes his way back to Ammon Ethier. So as the sun is setting, he climbs the hill, hoping to find other people, and all he finds is Neonor standing there in her own darkness. She did not speak, she did not even react to his coming, but he realized that if he took her hand, she would blindly follow. And so he was hit with grief. He didn't understand what had happened to her specifically, but he decides that he and she need to find their way back to safety. And at this point, he's concerned because they don't have food or means of shelter, anything like that. They are a good distance away from Doriath, and there's just the two of them. He doesn't know where everyone else went. Fortunately, fairly soon after this, they find three other of their companions. So there's five of them now. And they decide to journey north and east back towards the edges of the, the lands of Doriath beyond the Syrian. Because that's where things are guarded. That's where they know they might come across some of their people and they will be safe again. And over this trip, Nanor's strength 
slowly returns as they get closer to Doriath. And it specifically says here in the text, as they drew nearer to Doriath. So it's almost like Tolkien is insinuating that as they get closer to the good lands, the darkness begins to recede. But even then, she still couldn't talk. She still couldn't see. She just walked blindly by the hand. And after having traveled for a considerable amount of time, we're not given the specific amount of time stated here, but they are worn out. And the group of five of them decide to take a nap, <laughs> to, to lay down and get some rest because it has been a, a, an amazingly crazy day and they are exhausted. And sure enough, while they are doing this, a band of orcs shows up. It says here, they were assailed by an orc band, such as now roamed often as nigh the fences of Doriath as they dared. But Nanor, in that hour, recovered hearing and sight, and being awakened by the cries of the orcs, she sprang up in terror and fled ere they could come to her. Then the orcs gave chase, and the elves after, and they overtook the orcs and slew them ere they could harm her. But Nanor escaped them, for she fled as in a madness of fear, swifter than a deer, and tore off all her clothing as she ran until she was naked. And she passed out of their sight, running northward, and though they sought her long, they found her not, nor any trace of her. And at last, Mablung in despair returned to Menegroth and told the tidings. Then Thingol and Melian were filled with grief, but Mablong went forth and sought long in vain for tidings of Morwen and Neonor. Can you imagine this from Mablong's perspective? He has been tasked by the king with maintaining the safety of Morwen and also Neonor because she shows up unexpected. And in the midst of all of this, they come across a dragon and... They are both lost. This passage up until this section, this part of the story has mentioned Morwen once or twice, but at no point have we even learned anything about where she went. What happened to her? Did she come across any other orcs or Glarung himself? At this point, we don't know. We don't know where she is. And now Nanor is lost and naked. Now, why would Tolkien add that detail. My thought on that, my perspective is that she has been reduced to the lowest means. She is like a wild animal out in the world. She has no sense of herself. She has no sense of her history, her past, anything. Another analogy, which might actually be even more apt, is that she is like a an infant. She's like a newborn infant in a way that infants don't have a sense of who they are. They have to learn everything about the world around them. They were not necessarily able to use their senses until their senses developed. And then all of a sudden they have to go, oh, what is this world? How does, how does eyesight work? What is, what are sounds? If you've had a baby before and you've had a newborn infant and you watch them and the way they interact with the world, everything's a surprise. Oh my God. What is that? Yeah. Oh, that's a sound. Oh, what are sounds, right? This is the state that she's in at this point, like an infant or a lost little animal out in the world, 
absolutely alone with not even the clothing on her back. But this isn't where her story ends. And we'll get to that after the break. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. Thank you to everybody who supports the show, who makes this possible. I couldn't do it without you. You guys know how this goes. We are going to thank some new patrons. Let's give a shout out to, let's, we'll start with Chuck, Chuck B, Sarah M, Patrick W, Taylor W, and Adam H. Thank you to all of you for signing up. I hope you are enjoying the early release of the episodes with no ads. If you're tier one, if you're tier two, you're getting the bonus episodes and there are a bunch of those already and we're just going to keep going with more of them. So thank you so much for your support. Also, we got to shout out our VIP patrons, Bo, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, David M, Esoteric Rage, Jesse P, Capenna, 009, Larry, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Patrick W, Sam B, Shannon L, Tyler M and Wes P man. I have to scroll down the list at this point in order to make sure I get everybody. Thank you so much. And to all 191 of our patrons. Oh, and some of you have sent me messages on Patreon and reached out to just say things about how much you enjoy the show and, and some good questions and things like that. Keep that up. Uh, well, I mean, keep up the good. I mean, it's very nice to hear that you enjoy the show. That's, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. But the questions in particular, when you have some questions about some of the stuff we discussed or ideas for future things to discuss on the show, as the show continues on all of that stuff. Thank you so much for, for engaging with me about this thing that we all love. 
You guys are the best. All right, we've got some reviews. I'm going to start out. We actually have a whole lot this week. I'm going to start with the first three, and then we're going to put the rest of them at the end of the show. So if you want to listen to everybody's thoughts and and their reviews and stuff, it, they're still going to be here. I'm still going to read out your words, but I'm only going to do so much right here in the middle of the show. So let's start with actually, we're going to start with some of our international friends. This is Woo Walker from Canada who writes Mayar of the lore was looking to expand my knowledge of the Lord of the Rings and came upon this amazing podcast. I've managed to binge all the episodes so far and eagerly wait Tom's next episode. You can tell how passionate he is and how much you love and enjoy talking about Tolkien's work. Keep up the amazing work question. Not sure you might address. Oh, I'm sure you might address this in future episodes. Do you believe Tom Bombadil is a Mayar or even a Vala or is he something else entirely? My gut says that he's something else entirely, although Tolkien never told us exactly what. Uh, but that is a great topic for future episodes. Um, I'd love to hear what you all think about that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm so tempted to go into the details right now, but I won't. But thank you, Woo Walker. We'll talk about that on a future episode, or we can we can talk about it on the Discord or whatever. All right, then we have uh, Kyokushin. 81. I hope I pronounced that correctly. If you are looking for Tolkien lore, then look no further. And oh, the first one was from Canada. This one is from Australia. I was searching for a Tolkien podcast, uh, lore podcast that focuses more on the lore and less on the podcaster's opinion. If you are the same, then Robots Podcast is for you. Short and sweet. Thank you so much. Then we have one from ETH HK from Hong Kong. And they write, all, all we have to decide is what to hear with the time that is given us. I love it. Just a fantastic personal but general review of the ethos and mythology of the Lord of the Rings. If you're interested in Tolkien and want to learn a bit or a lot more about the history of the universe Tolkien created, then this podcast is for you. You can hear the interest, the love, the passion, and the deep knowledge about the subject from Robots Tom. If you thought you knew a lot about the subject, then think again. Tom will school you in the most gentle, clear, and detailed way. I have caught up to the most recent episode, and now a deep loneliness and sense of loss is on me. <laughs> uh, tongue sticking out, smiley face? I don't know how to describe that one. <laughs> Looking forward to more episodes where Tom's subject matter goes hither and thither. I love that. Among the Tolkien's works. Please keep up the good work. Ethan. Hong Kong. Ethan, thank you so much for that. All right. We're going to read the rest of these. We'll put them at the end of the show. Uh, but thank you all for your support and for your kindness. And if you want to get your words on the show, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is how to do that. You can, of course, rate the show on Spotify. All of that is extremely helpful in making sure that I show up up high on lists in order to get more people to see the show and that kind of thing. So, all right. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the rest of the story. So the analogy here of Nanor seeming like a newborn child works pretty well. Here, check this passage out. Nanor ran into the woods until she was spent and then fell and slept and awoke. And it was a sunlit morning and she rejoiced in light as it were a new thing. Like she's seeing it for the first time. And all things else that she saw seemed new and strange for she had no names for them. Nothing did she remember save a darkness that lay behind her and a shadow of fear. 
Therefore she went warily as a hunted beast and became famished, for she had no food and knew not how to seek it. Can you imagine? Let's just stop there. Can you imagine feeling hunger, feeling like a day's worth of hunger? You haven't eaten in a day, but you don't know how to fix that feeling. Can you imagine? I have to do something about this, but what do I even do? During this entire time, she is traveling north. She's not gone into Doriath, fortunately, because she could have wandered forever on those mysterious magical boundaries. Instead, she's heading north, actually towards Brethil, which is, should, I don't know, should remind you of something. This is an area that we've heard a lot about. And here, we'll keep reading. But coming at last to the crossings of Teeglin, she just passed over or she passed over, seeking the shelter of the great trees of Brethil, and she was afraid, and it seemed to her that the darkness was overtaking her again, from which she had fled. But it was a great storm of thunder that came up from the south. We'll pause there. A storm coming up from the south. This one's not coming down from the north. Interesting. And in terror, she cast herself down upon the mound of Hod and Eleth. This is the mound of the elf maiden. The two threads of the story that match what Turin was doing when he left Nargothrond. Remember, he went to go see if he could find his mother and his sister, but he should have been going to help with making sure that Findulis would survive and saving her from the orcs. This is the mound built around her body when she died. Neonor and Fendulis have kind of come together, strangely enough, at this one spot. Stopping her ears from the thunder. But the rain smote her and drenched her, and she lay like a wild beast that is dying. More of that beast. It's not even symbolism. It's directly stated here. And then, here's where things, well, take a turn. There, Turambar, and we aren't using the word Turin here. We aren't using that name. Remember, he's taking on another new name, Turambar, found her. As he came to the crossings of Tiglin, having heard rumor of orcs that roamed near, and seeing in a flare of lightning the body as it seemed of a slain maiden lying upon the mound of Findulis, he was stricken to the heart. Here in this very spot where he failed to save Findulis, he sees what appears to be another maiden dead on the mound itself. But the woodman lifted her up and Turambar cast his cloak about her and they took her to a lodge nearby and warmed her and gave her food. So he's there with the other woodmen that he's been he's been working and living with, the ones that are these other good people, remember? But they, they're more secretive, they're less warlike. And this group with him pick her up, cover her up, and take her back. And they give her warmth and food. And as soon as she looked upon Turumbar, she was comforted, for it seemed to her that she had found at last something that she had sought in her darkness, and she would not be parted from him. 
deep down, she knows that this is the person she's been looking for, even though, and remember this, Turin and Neonor have never seen each other. It's not like today where like Turin and Morwen would have had each other's phone numbers and cell phones and sent little pictures like, hey, look, it's your sister and I. We're going out to play cards with the neighbors. I, I don't know what people did for fun, but you get you get the idea. <laughs> Turin and Neonor don't know each other. So even in her darkness of mind, she wouldn't recognize him, but he wouldn't recognize her either. He doesn't know who she is. But something deep down inside does. In at least a familiar kind of happy, I don't know, uh, one little emotion amidst the swirling darkness and confusion, I guess is probably the best way to explain it. And during this time, she wouldn't be parted from him. Let's continue reading the passage. It says, But when he asked her concerning her name and her kin and her misadventure, then she became troubled as a child that perceives that something is demanded, but cannot understand what it may be. And she wept. Therefore, Turumbar said, Do not be troubled. The, ta the tale shall wait. But I will give you a name. I will call you Niniel, Tear Maiden. And at that name she shook her head, but said, Niniel. That was the first word she spoke after her darkness, and it remained her name among the woodmen ever after. I find it particularly interesting that Neonor and Niniel sound very similar. And this one passage here where it says that she shook her head, but said Niniel. It's almost like she was like, okay, yes, but no. Like, Mm, almost, <laughs> but she didn't know. You know th th there's a feeling there. It's also a little bit weird to meet a new person and who doesn't remember anything and then name them Tear Maiden. You're the one who cries a lot. I'm going to name you cry a lot. It's a little weird, but eh, uh, Turin isn't, I mean, he. I guess he does a lot of naming. So at this point he's experienced, but he always seems very literal about his naming. And let's be honest, so does Tolkien. So they decide to travel. They take her towards Ethel Brandir, and when they get to a place called Dimrost, the rainy stair, where the tumbling stream of Celebros fell towards Teeglin, we're told that a great shuddering came upon her. She started to shiver. That's the, the sense I get from this. And they named the place after this. They renamed it Nen-Girith, the Shuddering Water. And they took her to the home of the woodman. And by that time, she had fallen ill, sick with a fever. And so the women of Brethil tend to her physically, helping to recover her and get her through this, this strange sickness. But at the same time, they teach her language. And it says here, as if to an infant, they teach her how to speak again. And time goes by. The next thing we're told is, but ere that autumn came by the skill of Brander, she was healed of her sickness and she could speak. But nothing did she remember of the time before she was found by Turumbar on the mound of Hod and Elith. Now, there's another dynamic that happens here as well. Brandir, who we've talked about in previous episodes, falls in love with her. But we are told 
strangely, that, well, maybe not strangely, that all her heart was given to Tarumbar. And this is a, a type of confusion, I think. This is a type of evil confusion. There is a natural attraction between them because they are siblings. There is a familial love that they can kind of sense, but they confuse it because of the darkness that surrounds her, because of the lack of knowledge about who she actually is. And this is where things get even darker. I'll just read this final passage. It says, In that time the woodmen were not troubled by the orcs, and Turumbar went not to war, and there was peace in Brethil. His heart turned to Niniel, and he asked her for marriage. But for that time she delayed in spite of her love, for Brander foreboded he knew not what, and sought to restrain her, rather for her sake than his own, or rivalry with Turumbar. And he revealed to her that Turumbar was Turin, son of Hurin, and though she knew not the name, a shadow fell upon her mind. But when three years were passed since the sack of Nargothrond, Turumbar asked Niniel again, and vowed that now he would wed her, or else go back to war in the wild. And Niniel took him with joy, and they were wedded at the midsummer, and the woodmen of Brethel made a great feast. This might be one of the most tragic marriages <laughs> in all of literature. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned if you want to hear some more of the reviews read out. And other than that, I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. All right, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Let's get to some of these other reviews. This one comes from Donna Mewis in Canada, who writes, Robots is the lore master. As a longtime movie fan, the podcast inspired me to read the Lord of the Rings books in Silmarillion for the first time. Robots is an amazing storyteller and brings the world of Tolkien to life every episode. Donnie, thank you so much for that. This one is from History Nerd 164 in the US who writes, I would have rated higher if I could. Amazing podcast. Robots makes digesting the lore so simple and easy. 50 stars, by the way. Call me General Grievous. What's with all the Star Wars people? All right, General Grievous. Thank you so much for those 50 stars. This this one is from Pee Wee 2 in Great Britain. Great Britain. Words are hard who writes amazing podcast. I've stumbled upon this podcast three weeks ago. And within two weeks, I have absorbed 30 episodes. Tom demystifies Tolkien's world in an elegant and eloquent manner. And I'm hooked into it. What an amazing way to drift into this beautiful mythology. I look very different at the books and the movies, knowing what I know through this highly entertaining podcast. In fact, I didn't realize how much I didn't know. This podcast adds a whole new dimension to the Lord of the Rings experience. Keep on going, Tom. Well, thanks Pee Wee. This one is from another Star Wars person, uh, Lord Darth Maul, 117, from the U.S., who writes, 
one lore cast to rule them all. Hold your ground. Hold your ground. Nerds of Gondor of Rohan, my brothers and sisters. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of lore masters fails, but they forsake their fellow nerds and break all bonds of friendship. But it is not this lore cast. An hour of boredom and shattered dreams when the age of lore cast comes crashing down. But it is not this lore cast. This lore cast fights. By all that ye hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, nerds of the rings. <laughs> Had to do that speech. Love this lore cast and all of your other lore casts on the Robots Radio channel. Keep up the amazing work, fellow nerds. If you love the world of Middle Earth and all that Tolkien created, this is the home for you. Lord Darth Maul, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Then we have one more from Elliot Godber in Canada who writes, One podcast to rule them all funny they both have the same title uh hi tom i came across your podcast after having a heated debate over whether lord of the rings has more lore than star wars i obviously argued argued for lord of the rings it's my favorite trilogy of books and movies hands down but i hadn't read the silmarillion yet so was sort of guessing about how many things were based off of what i'd heard this brilliant podcast has helped me to dive into the silmarillion and now i am currently reading along there isn't much to say that hasn't already been said about this amazing podcast. You've really hit it out of the park. One last note, I'd love to hear your opinion on the debate. My opponent only had one real point, being that Star Wars has thousands of TV episodes and books. Anyways, thank you for such a great podcast, and sorry for taking up so much time in the mid-break. No problem. Um, Actually, I think your friend is right. I think Star Wars, because it has multiple authors over many years of writing other things, uh, extra books, comic books, TV shows that actually the 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 size of the lore is even greater than that of the Lord of the Rings. But I would argue that if you kept the lore to only the original uh, writer and I mean, I guess that would be uh, what's his face? Um, uh, what's his name? Why can't I think of his name? Lucas, George Lucas. If you keep it to really what George Lucas had created and even if you include the prequels, I think Lord of the Rings is significantly bigger, but if you expand it out to other authors, then that one takes a kick to the point where they actually had to like refresh the lore and they came up with the whole legends versus canon thing. Anyway, I'm not a Star Wars expert, but I, I think I know enough to know that it probably has more lore. But anyway, there you go. That's my that's my thought on that. Thank you to everybody for your support. I really do appreciate it. All right. Go have a wonderful week and I will see you next time.